Well, good morning, church. Occasionally, uh, we take the opportunity to save most of our music for the close of the service. Uh, That's intentional, all right? That's intentional because the Word of God stirs our affection that we might praise more passionately, all right? Now, we're going to be in Deuteronomy for the final time, Deuteronomy chapter 10. You can open your Bibles there, and uh, you might think to yourself, how in the world is the law going to stir my affection to sing more passionately or more surrendered or more loudly? And that's a good question. Maybe by the end of the service, you will be able to answer that question with any affection that God stirs in you when the Spirit and the Word get together. Amen? All right. I want to pray uh, for a good friend down the road. Some of you know, know who this is. It's Pastor Jose at Cypress Creek Church. We had lunch just before uh, my family went out of town to go to uh, family camp. And this brother is becoming such a good friend to me. And it's so good to see uh, God doing big things, not only in our church, but other churches right here in uh, our Wimberley Valley. And so let's pray uh, for CCC or Cypress Creek. Let's pray for Pastor Jose and for his leadership and what God is doing there in their church family. And we'll open to Deuteronomy 10 together. Father, thank you that you taught us how to pray when Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what we pray. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. We praise you, you're holy. Hallowed be your name, of course. But we're surrendered. We're open-handed saying, God, use us for your purposes. I'm excited to open the scriptures because it is good for us. It's useful for teaching and correction and reproof and training in righteousness. It is nourishing to our souls to consider how you have spoken to us. But we also pray for our brothers and sisters just down the road who will gather this morning as well. We pray for Cypress Creek Church. We pray for Pastor Jose. We pray for uh, the things that are happening in that place, the things that he shared with me that he's so excited about some of the challenges they may have on the road ahead. And we just ask God for your wisdom, uh, that you would anoint him and uh, the elders there at CCC, that you would uh, grace your presence in that place, that the gospel would be heralded unashamed, passionately, that people in our community might repent and believe and families would be changed forever. Marriages would be changed forever. Legacy of faith would be changed forever. Eternity. Ways in the balance. And you're equipping brothers and sisters in the Big C Church to go out as missionaries in our surrounding areas and to the ends of the earth. God, would Cypress Creek Church be one of those churches that sees you moving, your kingdom come? We pray for the same thing. We ask, Lord, humbly for the same thing, that you would use us mightily for your glory to be a part of your kingdom work. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, I hope you're there. Just briefly, I know our student pastor, Sean Sibbles, preached last week. He did a great job speaking about the glory of God in Christ, a little bit of refresher on the Trinity. And so I'm gonna just do a little refresher on where we were before he preached on that subject. 
just briefly walking through Deuteronomy, a little quick survey, the heartbeat of the law. And we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 4, that God spoke to a people, yet they lived, that they saw God's glory, the thundering, and they heard his voice at Mount Sinai, and they shook in their knees and were afraid, yet they lived. What a glorious thing it is that God spoke. We don't need to look at the law as this stringent, restrictive, authoritative, you obey me or I'll smash you like a little ant. We need to see the bigger picture. God chose a treasured possession. In fact, it says that all through the book of Deuteronomy, a treasured possession that he would know them and they would know him. That they would be his people and he would be their God. It is all about relationship. The heartbeat of the law is relationship. And then he gives us rules for the relationship. And we learned a couple weeks ago in chapter 5 that the, the law is for our good, that those rules are for our good, that it really is best to live according to his standard. It's for our joy and for our good. And today we're going to look at a little principle found in chapter 10 where we see the difference between blessings or curses according to how we obey, surrender to, submit to the law that he gives us. Let me read one scholar. He wrote a survey of the Old Testament. It's so helpful. It says, The Old Testament Israelites never, are, are not ever heard complaining about the burdensomeness of the law. Yet it was a great example of God's love for them that he would communicate to them in this way. They considered themselves fortunate to be able to know what God required of them. The law was viewed as a delight rather than a drudgery. As freedom of revelation rather than fetters of restriction. Would it be that we would see the Old Testament so much more valuable than sometimes in, in my small-mindedness just seeing it as a bunch of rules. Let me read a, a short excerpt of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 through 15. I'll tell you the context is after they had made the golden calf, after Moses just kind of lost it with them, he threw the tablets aside. He had to go back to Mount Sinai, get new tablets. And here's what Moses is saying to the people. Knowing he can't go into the promised land, saying, I just beg you, I beg you to rend your hearts to the Lord. I, I beg you to get right relationally with this God that's so great and done such great things for us. That sets up the context of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and earth, and the heaven of the heavens, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and shows their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. 
I want you to see briefly before I look at several examples of this blessings or curses. I want you to see the importance of knowing the what and the why of the law. Know the what and the why. And Deuteronomy chapter 10 gives us a great example of the what. What does God require, right? What does he ask of his people? Yes, Old Testament, Israel adopted into his kingdom family, but we understand that if we come through Christ, the door, the gate, the good shepherd, that we are adopted into Abraham's family as well, that we are new Israel, we understand some of those things. And if you have questions, come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. Understand the, the what of the law and the why of the law. Briefly, let me remind you that it's for your good. It was through the law that he made relationship possible, right? The sacrificial system, forgiveness of sin, entrance into the presence of God. So what do we do now? We, we look back at this passage and just briefly see the what of the law. Here's five verbs that communicate the what of the law here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. First, fear God. Because he made relationship possible, and especially as New Testament believers, because Jesus paid the price and offered us his righteousness and said, if you will repent and believe the same victory I have at resurrection, I will give to you. What a blessing, amen? amen. All right, I've been away a little bit, but we can, we can be interactive, church. What a blessing, amen? amen? We've got relationship made possible. So because of that, Fear God, number one. This respect and reverence. It's a language that speaks about motive. Out of a fear and, and respect of you, God, I will obey you. It's not just a duty to obey you. It is, it is drawn from this real sense that you are God and I am not. And if you say to do it, I'm going to trust you because you're awesome. I fear you, God. Fear God. That's in the law. Number two, walk in his ways. He's made it pretty clear, right? They're the rules for the relationship. We've talked about that out of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Walk in his ways. He laid them out clearly, and we have the decision to make. Either we trust that they're for our good, or we say, no, I got, I got a better idea. Okay? I got a better idea. Fear him. Walk in his ways. Number three, love God. Love God. You see Moses imploring them, love him, serve him with all your heart, all your soul. This genuine love. And remember the Ten Commandments, right? In the Ten Commandments, the first four there, it's all about vertical relationship between us and the Lord. Have no other gods before me. Make no idols or carved images. Don't take my name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. This is all vertical, right? Love him. Number four, serve him. Serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Number five, keep his commands. It is a grace gift that he told us how to live. It's not restrictive. It's not, restri it's not stringent. It's a gift. And if we're going to keep his commands out of a right heart, out of a, a genuine passion to love him more, it's a good thing. This is the what? Fear, walk in his ways, love him, serve him, keep his commands. Now don't take them out of context from the why, all right? This is the why. And you see it in verse 15. Let me read it for you one more time. The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers 
and chose their offspring after them, you above all the peoples as you are this day. The why, why do we obey? Why do we say, yes, Lord? Why do we say, I, I want to love you more and obey you more? Because the Lord chose, loved, and redeemed his people. And if you're in Christ today, I understand that I'm making a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's some assumptions that need to be made. I've done it more clearly in weeks past. But if you're in Christ as a New Testament believer, the reason you obey is because God loved, chose, and redeemed you by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It's not a checklist. It's not this restrictive, life would be so much more fun without the law. No, it's God, you loved me. You redeemed me. How could I not obey you? What does it say in 1 John 4.19? 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Because he first loved us and we can obey him. The why, it's not just because I think poor, poor, poor teaching or theology would say, if I obey, God owes me something. That's not at all what we're doing when we obey him. We're motivated to obey because we know that we deserve nothing. That it's all by the grace of God. We obey because we understand the great thing he's done for us and we could never do anything that comes close to that, yet we still want to honor and glorify him. You have to remember the why. Why? Verse 15, Moses says to Israel, because the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring. He set you above all the peoples. Here's a question for application. If that's true, and we should fear God, walk in his ways, love God, serve God, and keep his commands, and the motive or the why is because of his great love for us, what do we need to do, or more personally, what do you need to do to remember God's love for you? What do you need to do to remember who you are and whose you are? If you truly are bought, purchased, paid for, stamped, approved, justified, redeemed. How do you remember that? You wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord. I'm different because of you. I have a new heart. Help me live with a new heart. Do you put a... a, index card right there in your dashboard behind your steering wheel so that every day you get in your car and you drive to where you're going, you're dropping the kids off of school, you're going to work or you're going to run errands. You say, oh yeah, yeah, I love you because you first loved me. First John 419. Do you mark it with a tattoo and you see it every day when you brush your teeth and it's somewhere where you see it. You're like, I know whose I am and I know who I am. I'm changed from the inside out. I don't know what you need to do, but if you don't remember who you are, you should right now be asking God to give you a creative way to remember every day. Why am I going to obey you? Because of your great love for me. How could I not obey you? Right? The law is about the relationship. It's not about the checklist. And it's definitely not about earning something because what could we earn Everything we have is a grace gift from our great God. Thank you, four of you that said amen. 
appreciate that. So now that we have that reminder of the law and the heartbeat of the law and relationship, the what and the why of the law, I just want to show you a few examples as we walk through a few other passages in Deuteronomy of this idea of blessings or curses. Blessings or curses, or some might say joy or frustration. As a New Testament believer, we have the opportunity every day to obey the Lord, bear fruit, walk in his ways, and there's joy there. Or to disobey the Lord, not walk in his ways, and there's frustration there. And what we see all through the Old Testament is this principle of blessings or curses. You obey, you'll be blessed. You disobey, you'll be cursed. Now what I don't want to do is teach some kind of works-based doctrine or works-based theology. I'm still claiming everything I've said about God's grace that if we obey, we are owed nothing. We're not deserving of God's blessing. We freely receive it by grace. It's all a grace gift. But there is a difference between obeying him and putting ourselves in a position of saying, God, I'm asking for your grace gift and disobeying him and putting ourselves in the position of saying, I'm ignoring you. I hope you don't see me, yet you see all things, Lord. Right? That's the difference. We take this Old Testament principle of blessings or curses, put it through the lens of the good news of the gospel that we don't earn anything. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not our own work, as if anyone should boast, but it's a free gift of God, Ephesians 2. We put it through that lens and we still understand that if we obey, there will be more joy there. And if we disobey, there will be more frustration there. That's what I want you to see in these three examples. Here's the first example, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Listen to it. Verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command to you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart... And with all your soul, same language, very interesting. He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. But take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then... The anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Moses telling the people, God's called Joshua. He's leading you into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, abundant and fruitful, Yet, let me just tell you, if you obey, expect more abundance and expect more fruitfulness and expect the rain. And if you disobey, guess what? Expect the curse. Expect the famine. Expect the drought. Expect no rain. And interesting language, you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord has given you. God, God is offering this great gift of abundance and a land flowing with milk and honey, but all it takes is is a generation of disobedience for that good land to turn into the perishing land. That's a warning for Israel, but guess what? It's a warning for us. God has given us a good gift in salvation through Christ alone. He's given us a good gift in relationship with him. He's given us a good gift 
in grace. And I would never stand up here because I don't believe the Bible teaches it and say you can lose your salvation. I would never teach that, so please don't misunderstand me. But what I would teach is you have an opportunity as a Christian, if you're a New Testament believer, to receive that gift and walk in joy and blessing by God's grace and, and fulfill that abundance in your relationship with Jesus or disobey and disobey and disobey and quickly turn into a drought, dry, cold, hard-hearted, frustrated, bitter Christian that lives a lot more like a prodigal than the adopted son of a king. Which one do you want? <laughs> do you want joy? Do you want frustration? This is why the Old Testament principle is important for us. Because we learn something about what God did in the law. Obey me, expect the blessing. Disobey me, expect the curse. Scholars would call this the retribution principle. The idea that blessing comes with obedience and curses come with disobedience. I'll just call it blessings or curses or joy or frustration. Right here in Deuteronomy 11. If you obey, expect rain and fruitfulness. If you disobey, expect drought and death. What a warning. What do we do when the scripture warns us? How does that stir us towards an awe or fear or say, God, I don't want to be afraid of your punishment, but I do want to be reverent enough that I, I, I'm genuinely from a pure-hearted motive wanting to obey you because I'd rather walk in joy than frustration. A couple things. Remember, it's a principle. It's a principle, okay? I'll give you an example out of the Proverbs, right? Train up a young man in the way that they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. That's not a promise. Many of you trained, intentionally prayed, intentionally poured scripture into your kids, and for some reason they have departed from it. Because Proverbs there is a principle, not a promise. We don't get mad at God and say, you said in the Proverbs... No, it's a principle. Do these things. The principle is that they would likely not depart from it, right? It's a principle. It's the same thing with blessings and curses. Sometimes God decides to bless the unjust. It rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes we walk through suffering because of the brokenness and the curse. Even though we've obeyed him time and time again, we've walked in joy, yet we're walking in suffering. And it would be wrong of us to wring our hands at God and say, why are you so unjust to me? Because it's a principle, not a promise. Now, I've wrung my hands at God, by the way. There's, this is something I need to be careful not to chase down, but I'll tell you briefly. There is a principle there about wringing your hands at God where he teaches me in my weakness, okay? But generally, we need to understand the retribution principle. If that's true, it's true for Old Testament Israel, but it's also true for us. If we learn a principle out of the scriptures, it's not only for Israel. It's for us too. God, if we obey you, there's more joy there. And it's really important, if you didn't already understand from my examples, that it doesn't mean it's cause and effect. The fact that it's a principle, not a promise, means it's not cause and effect. Israel can't say, I obeyed, where's my blessing? God, where's my blessing? Right? Neither could we say to the Lord, God, we've been obeying you this whole time. Where's my blessing? Because it's a principle. 
I want to tell you about a time we were on, on mission in Guatemala, and there's a rampant um, thread of prosperity gospel uh, in, in the Guatemalan culture, that if you believe Jesus, you'll be happy and wealthy and healthy and blessed. Now, I believe that if you trust in Jesus, there is much more blessing in a relationship with Christ than in not having a relationship with Christ. All right, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying promising health and wealth and prosperity just because you take the identity of a Christian is wrong. That is wrong. And frankly, most people that believe or propagate that theology are using it to twist and manipulate people. That's wrong. And so our interpreter who's been influenced by this, we were sharing the gospel, we were walking around the community, talking to people about Jesus, and he said this, let me tell you about a God who can fix all your problems. I know you're poor now, but if you believe in Jesus, you won't be poor. I know you live in, in a brick dirt hut right now, but if you li- believe in Jesus, you won't live in a brick dirt hut anymore. I know that, that you've got this physical ailment right now, but I wanna tell you, if you believe in Jesus, he'll get rid of that right now. now I had to stop him, <laughs> okay? Do I generally believe that God can fix all of our problems? Absolutely. God is, is good to give me peace even in the storm. God is good to give me perseverance even through the suffering. God is good to give me hope even through what seems hopeless to me. I, I wouldn't challenge the idea that God, God is a source of solution for my problems. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that. Where I got really upset is he was telling people in a poverty-stricken culture, just believe in Jesus, you won't be poor anymore. Whoa, 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 pump the brakes. This is bad. And I asked him, I said, hey, I know a little bit of uh, Spanish and you know a little bit of English. And it seems to me like what you're telling these people is if they believe in Jesus, they'll be healthy and they'll be uh, not poor anymore. Well, yeah, that's true. Tell me how that's true. And then I told him very bluntly, my dad at the time was dying from a brain disease and I love Jesus and I'm serving Jesus and I'm on the mission field and I'm in ministry and I'm in the word and yet my dad is fixing to die with this brain disease. How does that square up with your theology? And he looked at me and maybe for the first time ever after being challenged with this misunderstanding of the prosperity gospel, he said, I don't know. And so what I wanted to tell him is that the beautiful principle about God's grace in my life, that even though my dad was dying from a brain disease, because I believe in Jesus, he put peace in my heart instead of frustration. Because I believe in Jesus, he gave me joy and contentment even in the circumstance. That's what Paul said when he said, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. He said, I know what it is to be poor and have a lot. I know what it is to be beaten and to be not beaten or healthy and not healthy or shipwrecked or not shipwrecked. Yet in all things, I know the secret is contentment in Jesus, Philippians 4. Therefore, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And we just had a little Bible study right there, just him and I, my interpreter. I love this guy. But I wanted him to understand there are principles through Scripture, but don't make promises where it's not promised. So this retribution principle, let me clarify, it's not cause and effect, but it is a true principle. When we obey, we should expect more joy in obedience than disobedience. Another thing to remember that's so important is the greatest blessing that God could give us is not 
a sports car. Is not a cabin in the mountains. The greatest blessing that God could give us is not a pool in our backyard. The greatest blessing that God could give us is not 12 grandchildren. The greatest blessing that God could give us is not a family life center with basketball goals and all kinds of cool stuff that this church has dreamt about. That doesn't mean God won't do it, but that's not the greatest blessing that God could give us. The greatest blessing that God could give us is his presence. That we would sit and dwell in his presence. God, there's nothing I want more than more of you. We're gonna talk about a principle of blessing. If God gives more of his presence, what else do we need? Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there's pleasure forever. Or even Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, that would I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. When we expect blessing, in obedience, not that we're owed it, but that God teaches you can expect joy when you obey. You put yourself in a position to receive blessing when you obey. We shouldn't be thinking material things anyways. We should be thinking more of your presence, God. I just want more of you. I want more of you. That's the greatest blessing God could ever give. Relationship with God can only be started through Christ. John 14, 6, he's the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Yet these Old Testament saints were claiming the promise that Messiah was coming and the relationship was started through the law. Knowing that Messiah is the one that was going to fulfill it more perfectly. If we walk daily in, in obeying him, and we walk daily wanting to honor him with our lives, it's good and right to expect that our relationship would be good. But if we know that we're walking in disobedience in any area, some besettled sin, or what Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 12, that we should cast off the weight and the sin that clings so closely. If you have sin clinging closely to you right now, you should not expect a good relationship with your heavenly father. Just think about it with your kids. If you're raising young kids, or you've got adult children, like so many do. It, if they obeyed what you asked them to do, there's, there's a good relationship there. If they're constantly walking in rebellion, there's tension. I didn't get any amens. I was curious. There's tension. You constantly walk in rebellion, there's going to be tension between you and your earthly parents. Why would we not expect the same between us and our heavenly father. It's that retribution principle. There's joy in obedience. There's frustration with disobedience. So I just ask you, where are you in your relationship with the Lord? Are you experiencing joy in his presence? Real, genuine joy in his presence? Are you walking with him, obeying him, pursuing him more and more through Bible study and prayer and and asking for more of his presence in your life? Or are you walking in frustration between you and the Lord? Because you've walked in disobedience. So you've had that besetting sin. You might 
identify with this idea that you feel like you're running and hiding from him, hoping that he doesn't discover those cold, dark, broken places of your heart. And rather than surrendering to him and confessing to him and asking for his healing, you're just hoping he doesn't see it. Well, guess what? My God and the God of the Bible sees all and knows all. He's everywhere at once and you can't hide from him. That's bad news if you're running from him. Let me tell you the good news. That he promised if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you find yourself in frustration this morning, repent and believe. Repent and believe. The same thing you did when you first trusted him. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Let me give you a second example of this principle. It's in chapter 11, verse 26 and 28. Moses speaking, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. If you turn aside, there will be cursing. Moses is clearly giving out the law through the Lord, the Holy Spirit, But if you turn aside, you're going to expect cursing. Yet if you obey, you should expect blessing. And I want to remind you, and I want to stress this, Israel is still God's treasured possession. How do we know that if you know your Old Testament and this constant roller coaster of Israel and they disobeyed and they're in exile and they obey and they're good with the Lord and they disobey and they worship idols and they're punished and and then they obey and they're good with the Lord. We see this, you know why? Because God never gave up on them. His his love never fails. His steadfast love never fails. His mercies are new every morning. That's Old Testament, Lamentations 3. Okay, the reason we see this with Israel is because God never fully removed his presence. He always stuck with them. He always redeemed them. In fact, one prophet prayed that a hook would be put in their nose and they'd be yanked around to repentance. I've prayed that prayer. Please don't make me pray that prayer over you, church. I want to remind you, if we're talking about this principle that God does not remove his steadfast love from those that are in his family. Isn't that good? Yet we still should hear the warning. Yes, in Christ were his treasured possession. He would never remove the full blessing of his presence. But why would we want to just muddle through life with indifference and apathy? And laziness. Why? There's no blessing there. I don't know if you were like my dad. One thing that he taught me that will always stick with me is that it's better to eat dessert first. Isn't it? Just eat dessert first. We need the meal. We need the sustenance and the vitamins and the protein or whatever else, right? We need the meal. But, man, we want the dessert. Or at least I do. I got a sweet tooth. Okay. Even in your disobedience, God might still give you the things that you need, right? But the good stuff, the things you want, don't expect those. And again, I'm not talking about just physical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. The joy and abundant life. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief came to steal kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Don't go through life just eating the dinner and never getting the dessert, church. God, I want more of you. 
I want the joy in your presence. I want the dessert. I want the good stuff, not just the stuff I need. I can't think of a better illustration than the great hymn writer Fanny Crosby. You, you know some of her famous hymns, right? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. You know that one? You know she was blind from baby to the end of her life. She died at 92 years old. She had every opportunity to curse God. How dare you? How dare you take away my sight? How dare you? I wanted to see your beauty and your creation. Instead of doing that, she's writing these hymns. Listen to what it says in, in, in the last verse of that same hymn I just sang. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior are happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. You see that? Happy and blessed? Your presence filled with your goodness? You see what Sister Fanny knew was God's presence was better than her sight. She could be happy and blessed regardless of the material things that she had or didn't have. That's important to consider as we look at this principle. Are you obeying joy, his presence, or disobeying frustration, getting the things you need, but never really getting the good stuff, the dessert of your walk with God? I'm gonna give you one more example that we're done. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 20. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. And I'll read just, just an excerpt here. Deuteronomy 30, starting at 15, he says, Moses speaking again to Israel, I've set before you today good life and good or death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, by keeping his commands and his statutes and rules, you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but you're drawn away to worship other gods and to serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Choose life. In church, I know that we're talking about Old Testament and law and Deuteronomy. And you got to make some connections into what Christ has done for us and understanding grace. But can I just tell you, choose life. If you're not yet a Christian, it's, it's a free gift offered to you because Jesus was righteous when we are not. He went to the cross to pay for the sin that I walked in. But he rose from the grave, keeping the promise that he would be victorious. Choose life. If you're not a Christian, turn to him in surrender and say, I'm done trying to be in charge. Jesus, you be my king. And if you are a Christian, every single day you have the opportunity 
Am I going to walk in joy of obedience or the frustration of disobedience? And I would beg you as well, choose life. Choose life. Fear him. Walk in his ways. Love him. Serve him. Keep his commands. Why? Because God loved you and chose you and made you a part of his family. His rules are not restrictions on us. They're reminders of his love for us and the relationship he's made possible. Don't forget that retribution principle. Blessings are curses. You get to decide. Even when we understand grace and we understand we don't earn blessings, it's still a grace gift that he would give me his presence or joy or contentment or provision. That's all grace. But if I'm disobeying, I, I definitely should not expect more of it. And if I'm walking in obedience, I'm saying, Lord, I still need you to do something I can't do, but I'm trying my best to honor you as I wait. I'm trying my very best to honor you. Every day you wake up, blessings or curses. More of his presence, running from his presence. More joy in walking with him or more frustration because you're disobeying. What's it gonna be for you today? And if you need to repent and believe, we've got all kinds of time here. We're singing three songs. Come use these steps. Come pray. Come pray with me. Come pray with someone that you came to church with. If you just want to ask God to stir your affection or ask for more of his presence or, or more desire to obey him, that you might know him more and more, do that too. Use this time. You could sit, you can stand, you can come pray, you can kneel where you're sitting. It is a grace gift that we have relationship. And it's all because of Jesus. And so we lift up his name and we praise him for salvation. Would it be that God is moving you to obey in a different way? from hearing this. Let's pray. God, I thank you and I praise you, Lord. You are good. You are good. And remind us when we get so tempted uh, by, by sin or by our flesh or by the devil to think that it's better to run away from you than it is to run towards you. Remind us of these things. Blessing or curses, joy or frustration. Remind us that you've given us the strength and you've made the remedy possible. So would we be a people that's not afraid to repent? We run towards repentance because the joy is there. And would we be a people that aren't, aren't checking a box and, and obeying out of duty because of some restraint that we misunderstand, but would we be a people that joyfully obey because we want more of your presence? Be our help. Give your presence in this time, we pray in Jesus' name.